Yo, what is going down? Welcome to Owls at Dawn. This is a bonus episode, but we're going to be releasing it on the mainstream for everybody to have access to for a couple of reasons. One, I'm going to be doing an interview with Chilean political economist David Aviles, and I feel like this is such an important conversation to have because we're going to be talking about the protests and the state of emergencies that have been declared in Chile over the past week or so. We're going to talk about the history of Chile that led to these issues, talk about some of the simmering tensions underneath that have caused this outbreak of protests, and then of course some of the actions of the government in response to this. And then of course we'll talk about hopefully some solutions moving forward. What does the future hold for Chile? It's a very long interview about two and a half hours actually. The first hour is more history, uh, biography, David's experience, where he comes from. He's got a very interesting backstory that gives him a unique perspective on the neoliberalization of Chile and his place in the world that allows him to understand it as a you know, young man who grew up in the 80s and then into the 90s and then went to university in the 2000s uh, in the two, two of the largest cities and then the largest city, Santiago, Chile and worked as an architect and then uh, has a degree in urban development before going on to do PhD research in spatial political economy. And then the second half of the interview is more looking at the contemporary issue, looking at the economics and the uh, socioeconomic conditions behind what has led to the current crisis. And so we kind of scrape beneath, as David will say in the uh, intro, not just looking at the what, but the why of why things are going on. So definitely stick around for this whole thing. It's it's a treat of an interview, and I had a wonderful time chatting with him. Um, I did want to give a couple of announcements. The first one being that I've kind of started something kind of funky and weird. I've started a read through of the Bible, where I'm going to read through the entire Bible over the course of the year. Uh, course of a year, I get requests all the time for people asking me my insights on the Bible and on scripture from a political, economic, philosophical, kind of radical Marxist, post-Marxist perspective. Obviously, I have degrees in theology in the past, and I did a lot of work on Latin American liberation theology. And so people are constantly asking me that, but I can't always engage in those kinds of discussions, uh, either online, whether over social media, in long form, uh, or on any other various platforms. And then Troy and I don't always have time to engage so much in our theological past and delve into those things, maybe in the way that some people would like. So I've kind of been thinking about doing a read through the Bible anyway, just on my own time. And I was like, well, fuck it. Why don't I just do something publicly and release videos for people so they can kind of participate in my musings? And so it's going to be a kind of like alt devotional like alternate devotional read through of the bible from a more liberation theology post evangelical philosophical post marxist political economic whatever perspective but i'm going to go from genesis all the way through revelation and it isn't meant to be this deep in-depth exegetical and expositional supplement i mean there's thousands of years of commentaries there's systematic theologies there are books that are written about this sort of thing i couldn't possibly do justice if i'm trying to read through the bible every day at that pace i couldn't possibly do justice to the richness of the text and delve into all the scholarship in the original language but i'm going to do my best to not sacrifice depth for the sake of also kind of engaging in a type of spiritual and devotional engagement with the text so it'll be something kind of interesting um I'm going to be uploading videos to my YouTube channel every day, or at least most days. So go ahead and go to YouTube, and you can subscribe to my channel. It's Austin Hayden Smith. 
The title of the series is An Apostate's Bible Read-Through, so you can find it that way. But if you click subscribe, then you'll get notifications for each day when the videos are released. Some will be shorter than others. Some will be a couple minutes. Uh, others are already about 10 minutes long. I've got a handful of videos that are already live as I'm up through halfway through Genesis, but considering that there are like 1,100 chapters in the Bible, I have a long, long way to go. But stick with me. It'll be a long-haul project, but I'm really looking forward to it. And I'm kind of curious to see what this read-through of the Bible actually will do for me, what kind of impact it will have on me now that I've kind of moved away from the confessional church. But nevertheless, I don't have anger and resentment or bitterness or anything towards the, tur towards the church, towards religion, towards spirituality. As a matter of fact, I, I almost feel like I've got like a rekindled sense, a kind of... Uh, post-Christian religiosity. And so we'll see what happens as I, as I read through the scriptures and see what I might glean from it. And hopefully I can share with people and engage with people and maybe spur you on to do some creative and constructive readings of either your own confessions that you're a part of, your own churches, your own religious communities, or whatever it is that you're a part of. And then, of course, I do want to... Uh, Talk about our Patreon, which is where you can support us. Uh, we have a couple of different tiers where you can support us. We've got $5 a month where you can get access to bonus content like episodes like this. This is one that we're releasing to the public, but generally this type of interview is something that we will reserve for Patreon. So if you want access to an entire back catalog that we have of similar type of discussions, interviews, as well as where we talk about movies and things like that, go to patreon.com slash owls at dawn. There's also a $2 tier where you can get access to what we're calling our democracy democracy motherfuckers tier, which is when you can recommend an episode topic for us moving forward. And for heads up, next week's episode is going to be the last patron-led topic uh, suggestion, which is on the philosophy of psychoanalysis. We are welcoming Isabel Millar to come on and chat with us. She is a Lacanian philosopher par excellence, so you are not going to want to miss that. So yeah, uh, now let's stop my babbling and let's get into the conversation with David. Check, check. One, two, one, two. One, two, one, two. How you doing, Sydney? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, as I have tweeted out uh, for people who know, people who don't know, um, this is a special episode. I have a colleague here at the University of Sydney. David Aviles, or yes. David Aviles. Okay. You say it, how do you say it? Uh, I say both because my father, when I was a child, he always called me David. Oh, did he? Maybe, yeah, maybe it's easy for him. Okay. Uh, he didn't speak any Spanish, oh, English, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I don't know why. Maybe it's easy, like short and yeah. quick and, you know, watched, David, come here. <laughs> David, come here, yeah. yeah. He watched a lot of American television. Maybe. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, David is a, a political economist, an architect yes. as well, and you have a master's degree in urban planning? Uh, yeah, urban development, urban we call development. that in Chile. Okay, what's, yeah. what's the difference, what's urban development? Uh, it's a political difference, okay. uh, because at the time, um, the um, Universidad Católica, which, which uh, is the place where I did the master's, um, had a little controversy about the word that you have to put in the name of the masters between planning uh, a statist idea or Marxist idea or develop, which is more neoliberal and more flexible to be used. Oh. That was one of the um, uh, histories that one professor told us about the name of the masters. It's like a political co economy of the name yeah. of the degree, even. Exactly. 
There is. There's, yeah. a, there's a political economy behind that, isn't there? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, that's really fitting for what we're going to talk about. So this was a totally last-minute discussion, mm-hmm. but um, actually, oddly enough, in our department, we have quite a few of Chileans here, yeah. a handful of, yeah. of you guys. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and as soon as I heard about this unrest that was going on in Chile, I immediately thought about reaching out to David to say, hey, would you be interested in having a conversation about yeah. what's going on to explain to people uh, who, one, might not even know what's going on in Chile. I was talking with my students this morning when I was teaching a class, and this is a class on international economy and finance, right? Yeah. And I said, do you know what's going on in Chile right now? And I just got blank stares. Okay. So I think a lot of people don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. I mean, people that are tuned in on Twitter and that are politically engaged probably know, but the mainstream media is not really covering this. I think more now. More now. More, more now. now, but the first few days... Nothing. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. And so I figured I would I would ha- have David come on and tell us. I'm going to keep s- switching now. I just said David, David and David. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we'll switch back and forth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, I asked, saw, I thought about having him come on, and he can kind of explain what's going on in Chile, and then give us like a deep dive, a, a personal biographical deep dive into the history of Chile, his involvement in Chile, his experience of the austerity measures that have been imposed uh, been imposed in Chile and then of course as a researcher and as a political economist what does he have to say that might be more academic more intellectual more critical that can help us to understand what's really going on does that sound good yeah sounds good very good all right so let's start who are you where are you from tell us um, about yourself i was born and raised in a small city 2000 uh, inhabitants uh, in rancagua which is like an hour a little bit more in, in the south of Santiago, okay. main capital. I studied there and lived there until the 17 years old, and then I moved to Valparaíso oh, yeah. uh, to make my degree in architecture. Okay. And then I went to Santiago, the capital city, to, the, to do my master's, and then I started to work in a research center in uh, sustainable urban development. Okay. So I lived in Santiago for about six years, something like that. Hmm. Um, or maybe seven, yeah, could be seven or eight. Okay. <laughs> and uh, then I moved to Sydney to, to do my PhD. And I'm convinced that we are, or at least I am, a result of the, uh, all the history that, that is uh, coming with me. Mm. You know, like not just uh, studying here, not just uh, being an architect, mm. which is I... I have some um, feelings like about being an architect mm. and so yeah my family my parents and everything that is surrounding me uh, has mm. uh, have had an impact in me so, mm. yeah. uh, what field were your parents in what, what did what did they do uh, my parents were they had they finished the um, higher education no yeah. not not higher it's uh, high school like high school yeah high okay. school and my father finished the high school uh, at the night, studying at the night. Yeah. And then he started to work in uh, automotive mechanical, yeah. like repairing uh, cars and that kind of stuff. And then he moved f- uh, from there to construction. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And my mother... Uh, what kind of construction? Would you uh, houses, uh, yeah, okay. you know, refurbishment, yeah, yeah. refurbishment uh, of houses, that kind of things. Okay. Small things. 
Yeah. Um, my, my dad's a, con- a construction worker too. Okay. So, but he did more commercial buildings. Okay. But yeah, yeah, uh-huh. definitely. So cool. And my mother, uh, she uh, finished uh, the high school uh, with a you know like technical small degree in mm-hmm. uh, accounting. Okay. Yeah. Uh, she worked like maybe three years, something like that, or a bit more. And then my my older brother uh, was very sick, mm. uh, so she has to left the job and take mm. care of the of my older brother. And then she stay at home until today. Oh. <laughs> now she's retired. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and they still live in that small town, or are they in Valparaiso? Yeah, or no, Valparaiso. the same the same city, Rancagua, uh, the same place for the last maybe I'm thirty seven, thirty six. So probably last 32 years yeah, okay. in the same place, same house, yeah. trying to be uh, a little more organized, the house. <laughs> so, so you say that you are a product of your family, of your upbringing. Mm-hmm. What, what was your childhood like? Because you grew up, I mean, you're born in the early 80s, right? Yeah, 84. You're born in 84. Mm-hmm. And so then you grow up under, I guess, the the emerging years of austerity and neoliberalization that have kind of firmly been rooted at that point in Chile, right? How long had mm-hmm. they been instituted at that point? Uh, at that point, uh, 10 years. Okay. So more, more or less. Yeah. So your childhood yeah. was basically a product of yeah. neoliberal example yeah. of Chile. So what was your childhood like? Like what was uh, We were very... Um, uh, my family was uh, very strict and the idea to be isolated from the surroundings because mm-hmm. we lived in a neighborhood with some families like uh, uh, involved in drugs, you okay. know, like a little bit uh, complicated uh, neighborhood. Okay. Uh, there were uh, a lot of neighborhoods that were uh, working people, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, normal people, let's say. And, but there were another ones that were uh, a little bit more uh, complicated. Mm-hmm. So my parents always keep us uh, inside the house, mm. inside the backyard, the front yard in my case. Was it, da- was it dangerous? Uh, not, not, I don't know, maybe for me, <laughs> I was living there since always. Yeah. So for me it was not dangerous. Okay. But I remember one one time that we started to went to play out with another guys mm. uh, to play football, you know, soccer. Yeah, yeah. And I remember one time we went to a like informal field in like maybe three blocks away from my house, mm. and we went there like maybe five times. And the fifth time, one of the other guys took at the football ball. Oh no. A bully. Yes. Oh, an and we had to run away to our house. <laughs> and my mother, until today, remembers that. Like, And then you came uh, crying oh, because... <laughs> did, the they, ball. D- did they get the football back? Uh, no. Oh. <laughs> we lost the football. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. So okay. at the end, we were okay. like, okay, we're never going to do that again. So yeah. we understood. Why? That's why you stayed in the front yard then forever. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So, okay. So then you go off to study architecture and then yeah. you do your master's degree. How did your eyes open up, let's say, about... Because yeah. you worked as an architect. 
right? Uh, a little bit, yeah. Yeah. With a friend. So, how <laughs> did your eyes open up from childhood, moving to Valparaiso, then going to Santiago, into kind of seeing more of a real urban mm -hmm. cityscape? Mm -hmm. um, I've never been to Chile, but I imagine that Santiago is a big yeah, yeah. metropolis. Yeah. Um, an ordinary city, as Jennifer Robinson Could be, might yeah. say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's inside thing. Book by Jennifer Robinson for people listening. Um, but it's a it's a big periphery center city or peripheral city, but it's still kind of a wing of the imperial and mm -hmm. colonial Washington consensus. So it kind of probably is a is a very unique city. So what was your experience kind of yeah. going from your small town to these larger cities and then living in Santiago? There is one thing that always uh, caught my attention. That's what, what um, this was that uh, we, Rancagua was a mining city. Okay. Uh, small, big to be a mining city, okay. but always related to El Teniente, which is the largest subterrain uh, mining, copper, copper mining, copper mine, copper mine oh, yeah. okay. in the world. Okay, so what's it called? El Teniente. El Teniente. From Codelco, which is okay. a state company for copper exploitation. Okay. Um, Mining what, which materials? Or uh, which minerals? Cooper. Okay. Uh, copper. Yeah. Um, so there were villages, uh, neighborhoods for the miners. Mm. Uh, they were involved in special uh, housing projects. Uh, which they received, some of them received for free. Okay. So always is, was this uh, difference between miners, uh, workers and non-miners workers. Mm. Um, when this uh, the new neoliberalization came, start uh, the credit system, all this kind of new or advanced financial institutions, they were walking through the the city center with his uh, lunch bag and that kind of stuff and the stores went out to pick them to have credit because they were the most uh, uh, trusted people. Oh, so they would, they would pick people off the streets? Yeah. If you had a lunch bag because yeah. you were a worker, but you were a... You were a, a miner. You were a miner. Yeah. Okay. It was, they had <laughs> a specific lunch bag. Oh yeah, the, yeah okay, I got yeah. you. Yeah. So you'd be walking down the street and they'd be like, hey, yeah. you should get a loan because you're trustworthy. Yeah, exactly. Because you're part of this big corporation yeah. that is internationally yeah. recognized. Yeah. Okay. So we have this uh, uh, very big um, mining enclave. Enclave? Enclave, yeah. yeah. Uh, in the mountains, okay. which is Suel, mm. the city. And then they move to Koya, another small, very small town. And then they move to Rancagua. Okay. Because the mining was growing and growing and then don't have the ability or the capability or the, uh, they want to reduce uh, the cost of production. Okay. So it was expensive for them to have the workers living there, so they moved to Rancagua. Hmm. So this transformation always caught my attention. Hmm. Uh, and then went to Valparaiso. Uh, Valparaiso is a student city. Also, we have in Valparaiso, the, the metropolitan area of Valparaiso has nine hundred thousand people okay that's pretty big yeah yeah and they have like i don't know one two three four five six seven or eight universities oh shoot okay so yeah. it's like whole yeah. the, the whole economy it's around universities okay it's around students 
the most important thing is that when you finish the university, there is no jobs. <laughs> <laughs> so they have to leave. They have to leave. But then, then you get new students that come in. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, and the majority they... of them go to Santiago, another goes to the mining companies in the north of the country. And what what areas of education do they primarily specialize in? Is it like Everything. science, technology, engineering, or is it yeah. totally The university different? that I um, studied yeah. uh, was focused on engineering and technology. Okay. We, the architects, were the real people uh, yes. in the university because we were the artists, even so that we had four mathematics. Right. Like four semesters of mathematics. If the architects are the artists, then you know how like analytical and mathematical the rest of the people are. Yeah. Right. But that's okay. You're you were weird there, but you're also weird here because now political economy. There aren't many <laughs> political economy departments I have to in the world. That, yeah. yeah, you're just perpetually going to be weird. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I learned okay. to be like that. Okay. And then, uh, well, you know, like student life, uh, working until late, not sleep, and that kind of thing. So. Right. Of course. So basically, I didn't enjoy much of the city. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I lived in, um, I don't know how you call this in English, but a student house. Yeah. Could be fair. from the university. Yeah, that's fine. Student housing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which uh, was part of the benefits to oh, be okay. like a poor student. Let's okay. Say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I apply and they give me this. Uh, gotcha. Uh, I don't know, room to live. Mm-hmm. And I had the privilege to live with my brother, one of the, my oldest brothers, because he was like one year older than me. So at the end, we spent like whole, the whole university together, which was uh, very supportive and that kind of stuff, because go from a very, as I mentioned, uh, a small family, we're five, mm-hmm. uh, inside family, let's say. Mm-hmm. Uh, we always uh, be very united. Mm-hmm. Uh, go to another city, uh, another place, and you know, like uh, start to know the world. Mm. You need some help, and so my brothers always were uh, very helping me too. Mm-hmm. Um, and then moved to Santiago uh, was in like uh, in the mid of uh, the changing of life. My uh, uh, girlfriend at the time, now my wife. Uh, moved to Santiago first because she started to work in a company and that kind of thing, like the adult life. Mm-hmm. And then I worked in the university like two years, maybe, in Valparaíso. Uh, yeah, something like that. And then I went to the, to Santiago to start studying the master's. And yeah, I had a, a, a small fight with my former university. <laughs> <laughs> so I went out, yeah. basically. So what, what is Santiago like? as an urban environment, as a large metropolis? Okay, so Santiago has this, uh, let's say, it's a mirror of the economic uh, uh, institution in Chile. Okay. So it's a very unequal city, segregated especially. Hmm. What segregated how? What demographics would be segregated? What do you mean? Like poor, rich, is it other ethnicities? Is no, it like it's mixed? basically poor and rich okay. people. Uh, you have the middle class in between. But basically it, now Santiago is a reflect of the policies that took place in the dictatorship because they moved poor people from the higher uh, class uh, neighborhood to the periphery of the, of the city. Okay. So that uh, create an sprawl of the city. Mm. And they 
move them, like you don't have to be in this neighborhood because you're not rich, basically. And they took off all the things that they had in this, because they were like slums. Yeah, yeah. Slums, ghettos. Slums, yeah. ghettos. Yeah. And they took them away from that places and put it in the periphery, in the okay. south especially. Okay. So basically you have a very um, clear spatial division uh, of poor people, rich people. Mm. Um, we, during the government of Allende, there were a few, uh, not a few, but a lot of uh, industrial places. Mm. With the dictatorship, the, indu the industrial places were intervened mm. and was uh, race, let's say, yeah. and abandoned for a long time uh, because it was the focus of the workers' organization, mm. unionist, that kind of thing. So at the end, when I arrived to Santiago, was basically, okay, you have the rich people there living in this, I can name like the five uh, small communes that they have the rich people, and then the rest is um, a little bit of mix between middle mm. class and, and lower upper class. Mm. You know, lower middle class and then the poor people which is like concentrated in ghettos like and the ghettos was created by the state policies when we came back to the democracy okay so it's after this, pinochet after pinochet yeah. in what year was that uh 1990 1990 1990 okay yeah. so then it's really interesting i mean we'll we'll get a little bit into the history now but it's really interesting to me that the way that you describe Santiago is very much drawn along this spatial division, yeah. Yeah. which for people listening, that's really your expertise, right? Yeah. Is spatial political economy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Do you think that your experience of walking through ghettos and that fracturing and that fragmentation is what led you to thinking about space as being like the center of your research? Or is it kind of the other way that like now you're interested in space and so now you're reflecting and you're like, oh shit, now I see what Santiago is like. Uh, no, it's the first one. The first it's one. It's experience. Yeah. Um, even though um, probably I am like, I don't know, uh, yeah. The question is, for me always was, why uh, there are places that are so, um, I don't know, well-organized. Uh, hmm. The question against, maybe against, I'm going to say against the discipline, hmm. the architecture, is why uh, the architecture does not take place in the, these other areas of the city, why the planning doesn't get there uh. and that kind of questions always were a little bit uh, confusing to me since when i was in the last years of architecture i started to do only uh, workshops uh, or studios related to urban spaces okay. uh, to uh, i don't know territorial environments like mm. why and uh, the spaces of mobility the spaces mm. of i don't know uh, inheritance why a building collapsed because it is abandoned mm. you know that kind of thing so the question started to to appear in that in that uh, context and then mm. the question is why mm. as and, and I, rem I always remember uh, two things one is the maybe i was a few months here in sydney and i asked to a colleague uh, is there any place in sydney that i cannot go Oh. between any hour of the day. Right, right. And he was like thinking for about, <laughs> I don't know, five minutes. 
And at yeah. the end he says, no, I don't think so. Just don't go swimming in the ocean because there's fucking <laughs> yeah. sharks. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because for me it was, okay, uh, in Santiago uh, or in Rancagua or Valparaíso, okay, these places I cannot go okay. during this period of time right. because it's very dangerous. Mm. And it is dangerous. It's not like uh, media ideas. It's dangerous mm. because uh, drugs are very... Mm. Um, inside the neighborhoods and that kind of thing, so right. drug dealers. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the question, and, and the second thing is what uh, Frank Stewell always says, the question of why they do what they do right. is an essential question for the political economy. Mm. So at the end I started to understand that the why question for me was more important than the outcome that was the organization of the city mm. or the role of the architects mm. created or designing particular spaces. You know? mm. So your research now is primarily concerned with the why of the what. The what already yeah. exists, you experienced it, and now yeah. you're like, I want to understand why. Yeah. This. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so then this would be perfect transition. If you can give us, I am totally ignorant. I know the highlights. I know some mm -hmm. names. I know about like Cybersyn, and I know about the CIA-backed coup, <laughs> and I know about some cool shit, and then I know about like the fucked up shit, and then I know about kind of a little bit about how Chile has been held up as being the, the example mm -hmm. of what neoliberalism can do to benefit an economy, you know, how it can grow an economy and pull people out of poverty, quote unquote, yeah. right? Okay. Which is how Chile is generally held up, right? Yeah. When Americans trot around the globe to sell neoliberalism, Chile is always like right there mm -hmm. on their shoulder. Like, see, look at what we did here. Look at yep. what we did here, right? Yep. So can you give us just a little history? Let's just say a little bit like as quickly as you can, uh, a little history of before Allende, Allende, Pinochet, and then let's say the reinstitution of mm -hmm. democracy after mm -hmm. 1990. Um, okay, so the history of the world. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. All in five minutes, please. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, basically, before Allende, uh, there was a process of... We have to think that in Chile we never had a constitution made in democracy. Okay. None of the constitutions. We had like five or six constitutions during the, our history oh, wow. as okay. an independent country okay. since 1810. 1810. Okay. Um, so, one of the interesting things is that the last constitution between uh, before Allende or before Pinochet, because the, Pinochet changed the constitution, okay. was in 1925. Okay. And we were going out from an oligarchic republic, basically, parliamentary system. Okay. But at the end, was not so parliamentary. It was a few people voting and electing the representatives. Okay. Uh, so it started a crisis. Uh, between 25 and 32, 19, there were like about 12 presidents. Oh, shit. Yeah. Wow, okay. Yeah. Even we had a socialist republic that last 12 days. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Hopefully that doesn't mean that like Bernie Sanders, if he gets elected, he's only going to last for 12 days in America. Yeah. Hopefully that was... Okay. Yeah. Something like that. Not good. <laughs> no. So basically, one of the, uh, there is a bit of consensus in the academic uh, field that I am more familiar with, that there was a disconnection between the political elite and the social concerns. Okay. 
and how they uh, understand or understood the reality of the country, basically. So between mm. since 25, probably a little bit earlier, mm. until 38, when the things came to a relative calm situation, um, there were a dispute between a few uh, persons that were fighting for the power. Mm. One of the representatives from, from the traditional oligarchy, Alessandri, and another, the new, like, middle-class representative, Ibanez, which was a general. So, basically, a lot of struggle between that time. Then came, like, around four or five presidents, uh, which they last in their position, uh, the, the, the duration that the constitution was establishing. Okay. <laughs> so yeah. like five, four years, something okay. like that. The full term. Yeah, the full term. Full term, yeah. So then we arrive uh, and there were a few um, changes in the, that go against the capitalist model of production, let's say. The most important was the uh, land reform, which okay. start with uh, Frey Montalva, which was the president before Allende. Okay. Uh, land reform, you know, like giving uh, small portions of land to uh, small uh, farmers. Okay. So, you know, we have the traditional big farms from the oligarchs. Right. So they took... Expropriation. Yeah, expropriation. Re so re-expropriating the expropriators. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Okay. And that was within, let's say, to use uh, the words of the uh, traditional uh, elite in Chile, mm. uh, within the um, constitution system. Okay. You know? Then Allende arrived to the government with the one-third of the voters. Oh, sorry. It doesn't matter. Okay, so uh, at that time, the parliament if there were not an, there was not a majority uh -huh. in the election, the parliament decide who was oh. the president. Okay. Usually, they elect the most voted uh, candidate. Right. But it was a, very, a little bit of uh, negotiation, you know, okay, okay, we can elect you, but... We have the second one, we can elect the second one. Oh, so at okay. the end, was a little bit um, fight between the state powers, you know, like the oh, legislative okay. and the yeah, yeah. executive of the... Makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So that creates uh, tension and Allende uh, got to the power, basically, uh, through the elections. And then he started a process of change the production system, go against the traditional capitalist uh, the traditional groups, hmm. so that create an environment of tension. Who Oops. are who are the most powerful groups at this time? Is it mining, telecommunications? Is it agriculture and produce? What sectors yeah. is he kind of like fighting? Um, mining, basically, yeah. mining was in hands of American companies. Oh, okay, <laughs> that's what I was wondering. Okay, yeah. and agricultural, traditional oligarch groups or okay. traditional landowners. Yeah. Uh, that were the most important. So you have two big changes. One is the land reform mm -hmm. that start with Frey. Frey was a social democrat, 
personalmente. Democracia cristiana, bien. Uh, they receive very, a lot of funds from the United States, you know, to create a party, middle class party. Okay. And the second big reform was the copper nationalization. Okay. Which starts with Frey as well. But Allende moved the thing forward. So he took the 100% of the industries, nationalized. Totally nationalized. Yeah. yeah. Are, your, uh, are you an, an export-driven country yeah. reliant on copper and minerals primarily? Is and that agricultural. Key? And agricultural. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that was the, the, maybe the, the two most important reforms against the traditional capitalist groups. Do you know what happens in terms of um, in terms of like national income, in terms of balance sheets at this point? Once you nationalize these industries, um, how does that affect the economy? Yeah, there are a few research about it that I have read, yeah. uh, and they show that probably uh, within the the period of agenda, uh, we have the most let's say biggest democracy. Mm -hmm. uh, the best advances in uh, distribution of the income okay. in the country. Because when the, the Pinochet uh, took, took the power, they burned everything. You know, like yeah. basically Re Reprivatize, uh, rip everything up. And burn the papers. I mean, literally. Burn. Literally. Burn the papers. The contracts. The documents uh, oh, of shit. the government. You know that the, the yeah. first, uh, the official uh, act or minutes of the independence from Chile was in the La Moneda, the government palace, you know, where Allende was. Yeah. And one of the secretary took the original independency paper. She went with the, in the, with the paper under their arm oh, and a uh, soldier took her. And she, what is this? It's the constitution from the independence and, you know, like the original from 1810, they yeah. burned. Wow. Like, okay. after that, because she told the testimony, because she was yeah. alive, you know, like, to tell the, to tell the history. Yeah. So basically, um, yeah, at the end, the thing was that when, in Allende, there were a few, uh, Allende was very, uh, uh, a very particular character. He was, uh, some people says that the, the most, uh, human face of Allende, he was a little bit, a big ego, you know, like <laughs> this person that they know that they can change the world and that kind of things. Mm. Um, but he always fought for the, the democracy, you know, like mm. we're not going to take the arms, we're not going to fight as mm. the traditional uh, communist, uh, you know, mm. uh, countries. Right. Uh, but there were some fractions within the, the coalition, uh, Unidad Popular, Popular Unity, mm -hmm. uh, that were uh, very uh, violent, let's say. Okay. They were for taking arms. So at the end, uh, there was a mix, a mix. So they, this created tension. And obviously, mm -hmm. the capitalists were very violent. They created their own groups, you know, they were pushing or putting pressure under the military since maybe Frey, asking mm. for intervention. And at the end, they found the, the precise uh, person to take the power. Mm. And, and that was 
that was pinching. Yeah. And who was he before? Had he tried to be involved in any coups or had he run for office or was he just a military officer? He was just a military officer. Uh, he was very well described as very um, with some with integrity, let's say, mm. to the constitutional order. Okay. Uh, he was uh, maybe some. I, I was uh, reading a little bit of the new biography that went out uh, from a Spanish author, Moraes, I think is the name, is the surname. And uh, that was released this year. Okay. Uh, a very well done work. Like, mm. Mm, an historian? Historian? Historian, yes. Yeah, historian. Historian. Yeah. So, so uh, it's a really comprehensive work. It's yeah. I mean, very big, yeah. very detailed. He yeah. consults uh, the, the, the classified papers from CIA. Oh. Oh, he okay. went to the Franco uh, Museum organization in Spain okay. to look at, for letters between Pinochet and Franco before the... Yeah, from, what, 50s probably? Yeah, before the yeah. coup. Yeah. Uh, so at the end, it's a very good work. Okay. Uh, so he says that Pinochet was a very uh, trusting people, you mm. know, like... All the generals that named the, named him. There is a lot of picture with Allende hmm. from Pinochet with Allende. Oh, wow. They okay. having uh, so if you want to understand a little bit about Pinochet and the type of company that he keeps, we can also say that he's like friends with Franco. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So for a small period of time, he went playing two roles. You no know, friend of the president, and on the other side, thinking how we can overcome this chaos. Let's say in the world of. Uh, the traditional capitalism. Okay, so then uh, let's talk about when Pinochet gets into power. So it's a CIA-backed coup. Yeah. Uh, we knew this maybe a few years ago, maybe 10 okay. as much. Yeah. Because the documents were classified. Okay. Fifty years or forty years, thirty years. I don't know which is the system of CIA. Right. <laughs> so we knew what uh, United States was uh, doing after <laughs> right. uh, a couple of years, but always were was this uh, idea that it can be possible to create this environment of chaos, to create these conditions for the military team for the military to take the power without help. Okay, so they're trying to create social unrest. They're trying yeah. to create chaos yeah. because they think that if they can create enough crisis, then then that will just lead to the overthrow or a re-election yeah. or something. They, yeah. So they, they didn't think that they necessarily had to go in yeah. with military force at first. Yeah. There is one thing that always Pinochet said that because he, he at the end became the enemy of the politicians, you know? Okay. Like, I am military, I know how to do, I have to defend my country, yeah. and the politicians are the enemy. So right. he always says, the problem was that the politicians want the, wants the power, you know, want the power. Right. So the uh, Democratic Party, the Christian Democratic Party, uh, they always uh, want the, the power back after a few months or a few years. But mm -hmm. no, 
I'm going to stay here until I understand that I finish the thing that I have to do, which mm. is keep my country safe from the cancer, Marxist cancer. No? Okay. So at the, end, yeah. Yeah, at the end, you saw that he himself revealed like, how was the environment a little bit between this uh, Christian Democratic Party, center-right and, and far-right mm. uh, part, political parties. They want an intervention from the military, but mm. to stay in the power for a few years and then call to elections, you know, and we are like... So we always... Uh, there always was uh, suspicious mm. about the role of the parties, you know, center-right, from center-right to the far right, mm. uh, how they could create this environment for chaos, you know, and in parallel of that, since the 50s, the School of Chicago started this uh, change of students between the um, Faculty of Economics in the Universidad Católica to the School of Chicago, you know. Yeah, that's really interesting. So yeah. there, there is basically this sort of steady stream of influence that comes from Chicago-trained economists, yeah. monetarists, neoliberal theorists that basically funnel straight down yeah. into positions of power yeah. in Chile, yeah. in the institutions, yeah. in government, as economic advisors, yeah. etc., right? Yeah. Like, do they even become finance ministers? Are they former, like, graduates? So, like, right now in Brazil, the, the finance minister is like a graduate of University of Chicago in the Chicago yeah. School, right? Is that something similar? Yeah, yeah, similar. 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 Yeah. There are a lot of... Uh, uh, ministers of, that were, that study in Chicago. Yeah. Uh, the last one, I think it's from Harvard. Okay. Uh, a, bit, a little bit different, not too much, but you know. <laughs> same, same but different. Yeah. Dif different but same. <laughs> like the yeah. same, same but not same. Same, same but not the same. Yeah, yeah. All right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, um, and that that is the most interesting thing because the the. Um, the academic environment. Mm. I mean, the group of Chicago was didn't have the importance that they have now. Mm. No, at that time there was an mm. internal fight within the economics, uh, the business uh, environment of the Universidad Católica. Mm. You know, but nothing more. They were fighting between. There were a group that were more traditional economists in the sense that maybe more political economist, maybe. Were they even Keynesian? Or yeah, Keynesians, yeah. Kind of kind of something things. around yeah. that time, because that's probably 50s, yeah. 60s, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. State, interve state intervention, you yeah. know, like we need to lead the development of the country, that kind of things. Sure. And then this new group uh, emerged as the new, because they, they put the economy as a science, you know? Yeah. As a science, we, we have to... Uh, get the knowledge uh, to the economy through science, right. and this is a way to do it. Neoclassical economics, right. basically. Yeah. And and then so so Pinochet takes over in what year? Seventy three. Seventy three. Yeah. So in nineteen seventy three, that's the coup. And Allende, just because I can't, is he killed in an uprising, or is he imprisoned and then? The first September eleven. Oh shit, that's right. I see that every September 11th, people always say this. They're like, yeah. remember the first? Oh, I think there's even one from like the 1800s or something. But yeah, they're always like, remember this one, the, the Chilean September 11th. Yeah. That's right. Okay. Um, yeah, 
basically, uh, yeah, that was a, a very uh, the first um, threat to the democracy was made by the Marines. Uh, Almirante Toribio Medi Medino, Medino Toribio, yeah, I don't remember the name, was, uh, but uh, Medino was the surname. Um, and he started the movements in Valparaiso, I think. Okay. Uh, the Navy uh, Corps and that kind of things. Mm. And mm, there, there were conversations that we're going to do this, I'm going to be the leader, mm. you know. So, uh, Manuel Garate, one of the uh, an historians, an historian in, in Chile, he says that there was a fight between Merino and Pinochet because Merino wants to have the power and mm. do this thing, and there was a part of Pinochet maybe not willing to do the things because he was like a little bit constitutionalist mm. in the tradition that we have to be within the political system uh, subordinated to the elected president. Yes, okay. Probably... That's why. That's what you were talking about earlier. He, he wanted him out, but didn't want to use military action. Yeah, because yeah, he still yeah. respected the Constitution. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Manuel Garati puts the things very easy. He says that basically the army is the older yeah. uh, military force. Mm. So Pinochet was like, I'm not going to let the Marines take the power without ah, the army. Ah, okay. So at the end, they act. It was very uh, sad that morning. Uh, the famous hawker hunters uh, went to uh, La Moneda mm. and they uh, threw, threw up missiles. Yeah, missiles? Missiles, yeah. yeah. Um, and basically attacked the... the and, and agenda was in there. Uh, he refused to leave. And then they start to cut the communication, radio, mm. television, everything. And the, there, wa, there was only one radio that uh, delivered the famous last speech of Allende. I trust mm. in the people. I trust in the Chile's destiny. Mm. They're not going to be able to uh, silence the voice of the people. Mm. So I hope, you know, like in the future, near future, the streets will be open. Mm. when the free men can walk again mm. and fight for their rights, you know. It's very emotional. I can, I'm, I'm, I'm tearing up right now, my eyes are all red, it's very emotional. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh. yeah. and it's very, it's, uh, you can find it in YouTube, it's very, wow. uh, uh, very uh, emotive or emotional discourse. Wow. And yeah, and they took the power and Pinochet basically was like, put them in a plane, took them, put them in a plane, uh, live, uh, Lived in the country, you know, and when the plane is in the air, accident happens. Oh. Basically, that was the plan. So that's the last time anyone hears of him. Yeah, and that was a, this this conversation was be, between Pinochet and the military that were taking over the moneda. Okay. The, La moneda, the yeah, president's yeah. palace. Uh, put him on a plane, and when he is in the air, accident happened. So we need to kill the dog in order to finish the shit. Okay. Yeah. So at the end, uh, Allende started to say to the people that leave the the palace, mm -hmm. and he said to the people, "I'm going to be outside in a few more minutes." He went into his office and he uh, killed himself. Oh, he did. Okay. Yeah. 
with okay. a gun that uh, was a gift from Fidel Castro mm. in the visit to Chile. Okay. So what's the very symbolic? Because yeah. he in the in this mm. in this last discourse he says, mm. "I will pay with my life the loyalty of the people." Mm. So yeah, that was the last uh, discourse that we had in, from Allende. Mm. And the last pictures are uh, an Allende with, and he never called to the people to fight against the military. Mm. The, there were a lot of uh, uh, advisors telling that he has to call for the people to arm themselves and go fight mm. because it's a, this is a war against you know the military or the capitalists and he said always no. Was it because he didn't want to put the average person in yeah. harm's way? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Because he, knew, I, he yeah. knew that thousands of people would die. And, yeah, yeah, I know. You, I, I, my, my thinking is that probably he always knew that if he do something like that, it's going to be a massacre more than, more bigger, or bigger, mm. <laughs> sorry, bigger than we have. Yeah. You know, like, mm. there are, you know, like, always it's difficult to put numbers into this kind of processes. Yeah. Uh, because all the information was uh, burned, burnt, yeah. basically, or so, hidden, yeah, or suppressed, yeah. Yeah. So that was the last uh, episode of Allende. Then started the, the persecution of uh, old uh, communist uh, party leaders and the militant of the uh, leftist uh, parties. Uh, with lists, mm. you know, start a, a period the concentration camps. Yeah. Uh, the mm. National Stadium became one of the most uh, symbolic. It was uh, a camp? They yeah, put people in the National camp. Stadium? Yeah. Wow, okay. Yeah. And if you go there now, there is a, a section of the... The stands? The where stands, people sit, yeah. Yeah, and, and they create a memorial for because of that time, you know. Wow. Okay, um, so then, so then Pinochet comes to power in '73. How long is he in power? Seventeen years. Okay, and he's in power the whole time. It's not like him and no. then somebody else. So he's he seventeen years yeah. until yeah. The, the four military members of the um, there were only two that stayed in power for the whole period: Pinochet and Merino. Okay, the Navy guy. Yeah. <laughs> So he always probably he was waiting if something happened, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm <Yeah>. Here. <laughs> okay. And the Air Force uh, leader changed once, uh, and then the police leader changed as well. Okay. Uh, yeah, there were four. But it's pretty homogenous. Same, yeah. same, same. Yeah. Um. So this is the introduction of privatization. Yeah. Neoliberalization, Chile becomes the sort of what do you call it? Like a miracle. Yeah, well, that's the Chilean miracle. Right? Yeah, the Chilean miracle. Yeah. Okay. So, then what's the Chilean miracle? <laughs> so basically, was um, uh, this historian Garate says that the most important thing was that they didn't know what to do. Mm. So we have the power. We are not experts. You know, like in, at that time within the Chilean political elite, there was already this idea of technocrats, mm. 
So we need to grow all these intellectuals to help us to develop. Since 1928, 29. Mm. So this idea was very um, crucial for them because they didn't know how to do it. You know, we need mm. to recover or rebuild the country. How do we do this? Mm. And at the end, Merino was very uh, familiar with some uh, ideas that were developed inside the Universidad Católica. Uh, there is a, a broken link how he get to know these ideas, you know? Okay. Nobody has. Maybe in this book of, uh, the last book of uh, the biography of Pinochet is, is, uh, is there, but I don't know. But there is a, a broken link how he get to know these ideas. And in the mm. end, the discussion was, okay, we are going to do a state live transformation or, uh, you know, like private market-led market, transformation. Yeah, market transformation yeah. there. Yeah. At the end, we won uh, the, the market, market yeah. <laughs> idea. Yeah. And they asked for uh, these people within the University of Catolica to prepare an economic plan for the country to be implemented. Okay. In parallel, start this uh, redesign of the constitution. With uh, there, there are like two big groups. One is the economic group, Chicago Boys, the mm -hmm. famous mm -hmm. group, and the other one is the constitu constitutionalist group, which is the Ortuzar Commission. Uh, we have a Chilean studying that here in Sydney Uni, Mauricio Gilpatay, if you want to know. <laughs> uh, and in parallel, they were working with the economic plan, uh, which was called El Ladrillo, the brick, you know, because it was a very big uh, book of mm -hmm. economic reforms. Okay. And they call it the brick. Um, and on the other side, the constitution started start to create this very uh, sealed idea of how the society needs to be in order to be a Chilean society. You know? mm. So they start to discuss things like what is to be a Chilean. Well, cultural stuff. Cultural stuff. Okay. Straight away. Yeah. So uh, what do we do when somebody came here uh, and says, uh, I'm not Chilean because of this or that? Um, and um, yeah, basically they create, invented a very good seal constitution, unbreakable mm. constitution, basically. Okay. There is uh, one famous actress in Chile that she's uh, left, very left uh, actress, and she says that she thinks that Jaime Guzman, which was one of the key intellectuals for the dictatorship, was a genius, because basically mm. the constitution is unbreakable. You mm. cannot do anything with, like, to change it, you need like, I don't know, maybe the 70% of the quorum of the Congress in order to change one article. Mm. So the few changes in the Constitution has been a fight for five years. Okay. And we're talking about trying to be more, uh, a more representative democracy. That kind mm. of things like, okay, we need to discuss that how we're going to count the votes, because this is not representative. Mm. We are because they create this political system with a bipolar system, you know, uh, Democrats and 
out the system in the United States. The Democrats and the Republicans. Republicans, yeah. Yeah, basically that idea. Okay. We have the center left mm. and the center right. Right. Uh, in quotation marks. You could say, but is the center right really far right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. At the end, yeah. And yeah, so the economic plan was basically uh, monetarizing, monetarism, yeah, monetarism, monetarism, uh, uh, public uh, uh, reduction of the state intervention in the economy, okay. free market, and they try this free market in everything, even in the city. So it was the only time that they declared that the land was not a, a scare resource, you know? Mm -hmm. So if you take off the regulations on the urban land, so you can build anything, whatever you want, you will decrease the prices of the land. Hmm. That didn't happen. Hmm. So a few years later, they understood, okay, we need to put regulations again into the land, into the urban uh, configuration because the prices are higher, 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 you know, like right. we have to deal with this. Okay. So there are a few authors like um, uh, French Davis, which mm -hmm. is a leftist neoclassical economist. He says that there is a few periods, like the first period is when the, this economic free market, full neoliberal plan was uh, placed until uh, the crisis, the 80s crisis in Latin America, Latin American crisis, yeah. which, which impacted very uh, heavily in the country. So how, how is Chile affected by the Latin American crisis? Um, um, a lot. Uh, yeah. Unemployment, uh, bank, banking system crisis. Okay. Uh, there were a lot of regional banking uh, systems that were broken, basically. And are they bailed out by the IMF? Uh, and by other organizations in similar ways uh, as like other countries? Do they kind of renege on loans? Like what, what is their response in this situation right here? Uh, yeah, basically the state start to pay the, the debt of these uh, small banks, regional banks. Oh, they bail them out? Like they, 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 they bail out the banks? Is that what you mean? The, the state does? They like give them money? Yeah. They, they give them money so that yeah. they, okay. Yeah. yeah. The state gave them money uh, start a new French Davis says that this is a pragmatic uh, neoliberal process, you know, like yeah. okay, free market, but we need to be pragmatic with some yeah. things, of course. So, bank system needs to be saved, we need to keep them afloat, pension yeah. system needs to be saved, that's right, yeah, and you know, that kind of thing. But the system is like uh, in crisis, yeah. So, at the end, they went paying the bills of the banks, right. the loans that they had in the international market. And one of the banks uh, was owned by the current president of Chile. Okay. So he was declared guilty of fraud. Okay. He ran away. He were took uh, into the prison from, for one night. With the help of the dictatorship, he went out of the jail. Mm. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And he now is a free man, mm. and that is like a, a maybe a funny history in all of this because we always remember that hey, the first that was <laughs> a fugitive from the justice were you, <laughs> right? <laughs> was you and no other one, right? Than you, 
So yeah, uh, banking system in crisis, unemployment, um, a lot of uh, uh, social crisis, and, yeah. and that was the first time that start against the protest. You know, like for the first time, oh, the people start to say, this is not how it was supposed to be. Mm. You know, so I start the pro the protest. Uh, uh, but that time, the 82, 83, there were a few people that went into exile, that went, come back to the country, the more uh, moderates, maybe. Okay. Uh, but at the same time, there was a lot of coordination between all the Latin American dictatorships to kill people. Mm. Uh, so basically, it was dictatorship, you know, like, yeah. It's very. And, and then that created a lot of uh, fear in people, you know, like mm. the whole generation that came from that period of time. I remember the first political link that I heard in the university was by a tutor. Mm -hmm. And he said, you are sons of the democracy. Mm. And maybe that is the problem. Mm. <laughs> and we were like, what? Mm. Yeah, because all of you... Uh, were born in the middle of the 80s and so you get conscious uh, at five, six, seven, eight years old mm. and that is democracy. Mm. So now you are doing what you want to do. And we were like, what are you, what are you mm. talking about? Mm. Yeah. Okay. So Pinochet is in power until 1990. 1990. And then democracy comes back. Yeah. So what's the state of the economy? How do they recover from the crisis of the 80s? Mm -hmm. And then let's take us just real quick up to up through the 2000s. What what is the fallout of the continuation of neoliberalization after the crisis mm -hmm. as they kind of get things back together? No longer a dictatorship. Now there's democracy. What um, how do things look? How is the country doing? Um, yeah. There is an important thing that um, now is very well known by the by the Chilean people. That was this this transition from dictatorship to democracy was packed mm. negotiations basically between United States, Pinochet, political parties. So, what mm. what are we going to do? Because after the um, ah and Pinochet at the end uh, vote the constitution in the 1980 with no. Uh, international uh, supervision, mm. so basically, probably was a fraud. Uh, you cannot know really because that data is not available. Mm. So probably it's a fraud. So we had a constitution that started in dictatorship again, mm. and um, this transition uh, after the crisis was a very um, uh, Latin American crisis around the eighties and Chile 82-83, so it started to create this environment of uh, social discontent. Mm -hmm. um, so at the end, they, in the constitution, says that after eight years, it will come uh, elections, open elections. Okay. Because, yeah, so if the constitution was approved, mm. duh, yeah. <laughs> obviously it's going to be approved. <laughs> so. Basically, uh, they went into this plebiscito uh, election, but to vote if Pinochet 
can be still in power or not. Okay. And uh, in 88 came the winning of the no, which is a very famous com political campaign. Uh, there was a bit of tension. Pinochet was reluctant to accept the, he, that he lost the election. Mm. And then start the process of uh, negotiation. What ah. do we do? How do we keep this working, you know? Because mm. I, am in the, and I am the power, I have the military with me. You can have the power, but not touch my military men, you know? Mm. So mm -hmm. at the end was a democracy with the dog breathing in your ear. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, why is he worried about this? Is this just because of self-preservation? Or does he have, like, the international community behind him saying, you know, we're behind you, don't give up power so easily yeah. because we need to make sure that we can maintain our control over things. Yeah. Is that going on? Or yeah, no? probably the, 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 the consensus is that probably United States says we cannot longer accept the human rights violation. Okay. Basically, because we are not able to support this. We are finishing the Cold War with the Soviet Union. We have this open front with Cuba, always. Right. Uh, so at the end, United States says, we cannot have another problem open in our backyard, Latin America. Mm -hmm. So basically, they started pushing like, okay, let's make a negotiation. How do we... Okay, so they support a transition towards... Yeah, okay. yeah, at the end they were like, I don't know, maybe they, the, the, the ones that had, okay, now, okay, capitalist has the control, so what is the problem, so... Uh, Modernization theory yeah, in action, in action that's fight right. fight for freedom that's and democracy. That's stage, right? Everyone yeah. gets a car and GDP numbers are doing yeah. good and now you can have democracy. Yeah, now you've exactly. Accepted. Perfect, yeah. okay. Yeah. yeah, and basically it's that, and then in the 80s start a process that some uh, academics mention, like uh, 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 measures to secure the dictatorship rule. Because at the end you have democracy because you vote, but you have the whole the economic system, the political system, the constitution, even some cult cultural values uh, attached to the dictatorship. Hmm. So they said that we have around uh, like the 100 or maybe more, 150 um, laws to uh, keep the control, you know? Like, mm. they start to process, in between these two years, they start to process laws because was less the sign of Pinochet. Right. So they start to create, like, okay, we need to give this, we need to give this, we need mm. to give this, we need to, you know, like... Right, right. So uh, when the democracy came, we have the first elected president, Perdicio Elwin, uh, which in the beginning of the dictatorship, he support mm. the dictatorship because... There was a constitutional disorder on um, the country. We need to support stability and yeah, yeah, yeah. that kind of thing. So he uh, won the elections okay. uh, by a few, a lot of votes. But you have to. There is an important uh, information that always the right or center right in Chile 
has had the same amount of votes since the first election in 1990s. So that is, has always been uh, constant. Mm. The one that has go ups and down, go ups, is the left, center-left voters. Interesting, okay. So elections for right-wing always 44%, 44%. How many votes? Two million and three hundred and thousand and yeah, always the same, more or less, you know, like yeah, yeah. maybe a, very, a small variation, but always they have keep the same uh, believers. Wow. <laughs> okay. So at the end of the day, uh, there are, in, in economic terms or in political economic terms, um, the decision was to create a, a strong uh, exportation industry sector, yeah. mining, agricultural, uh, derivatives from agricultural wine mm. or whatever uh, natural resources you can export. Mm. Um, so for that you need to create, in order to be... Uh, food superpower, you need to create big um, economic groups because mm. they, have, they need to have the power to produce the world demand. You know, mm. if you go to China, I can produce, I don't know, three tons of blueberries. <laughs> They're going to look at you and say, oh, we need 100,000 tons. Mm. You're not for our market, you know. So in order to become a, a world superpower in food supplies or food resources, you need to create these big economic groups. And all the uh, organization of production at the end, and it comes the space, mm. was organized in order to create these big farms that they can produce, I don't know, apples, blueberries, strawberries, wine. So is this import substitution industrialization where they're no longer importing any of this stuff, but they're developing the local uh, industrial infrastructure, technology, human capital, education, et cetera, et cetera. So rather than relying on the international economy at all, they kind of turn inwards to develop their own mechanisms the, and processes? Mm, yes and no. Okay. Because the official history says that we have a strong entrepreneurial um, groups that they are self-made, you mm -hmm. know, like we have now the biggest salmon exporting industry. Oh, wow. Okay. The second one in the world after Norway, you know. Oh, no shit. Okay. So uh, we are the, I don't know if you, when I was in Italy, we had a conversation with a restaurant owner and he says, oh, no, no, you have Italian wine first, French wine second, and then third, Chilean wine hmm. in quality. You know, like Argentinians are doing good. Mm -hmm. And they have a lot of marketing because of the tango, you know, like this <laughs> right, right, yeah. beautiful idea to have a wine with a tango. Beautiful people doing yeah. a sexy dance. Exactly. Yes, but you Chileans do better, but you don't have marketing. Uh. <laughs> so at the end, yeah, this is like uh, this idea. So, yeah. But uh, the official history is that they are self-made entrepreneurs. You know? okay. But if you look at the data... Uh, around Corfo, which is a development corporation that starts in 1939 and is living until today, mm. is probably one of the few institutions within the state that was not um, 
killed during the dictatorship mm -hmm. because they continue supporting but, uh, the industry, but specific groups doing specific things and trying to uh, build this uh, export lead development, mm -hmm. you know, but with natural resources at the end. Mm -hmm. So salmon industry, wine industry is like natural resources. Mm. And with the democracy, uh, the concertation, which was the first four governments, center-left governments, after the dictatorship, continue with this model, with privatizations. Mm. In Chile, we have almost everything privatized. Mm. The education system. You have public education, but at the end, they don't put the money that is needed. So mm. they kill from the inside the public education. Mm. So at the end, the people say, oh, why am I going to go to a public uh, school? Look at them. You know, the, mm. the uh, lack of good infrastructure, uh, lack of uh, teachers, you know, that kind of stuff. So privatized education, uh, giving money in equal conditions to public school and private school from the state. Uh, you have uh, pension or retirement funds privatized as well, mm. uh, individual, uh, like here in Australia, but without the, um, the unions. So um, the unionization was killed during the dictatorship, but always there, are, there is a pattern that never changed. And when did change was when Allende was in power. The incorporation of the unions into the political life of the country. Okay. So from 1925 with this new constitution, uh, there were never a real attempt to be an inclusive democracy. Mm. Always was an exclusionary democracy, you know? Mm. Okay, we're going to do this and do that, but we're not going to allow that the unions uh, came inside the political discussion, you know, mm. uh, and then and the economic issues of the country. So the proof is that when they create this development corporation that took the role of the ISI strategy, Corfo, mm -hmm. the only representative from the unions was one person against 15 directors of different companies, different industry sectors, and the government and the banks, you know, one representative from the workers. Mm. So at the end, uh, when the democracy came back, that, that never changed as well. Mm. So at the end, you have an exclusionary democracy, you have a bipolar partisanism, mm. uh, political parties, center-left and center-right. The Communist Party was basically destroyed. Um, so you never had a real change in the system. And probably uh, between, there are a lot of authors that says that within the concertation period, which is like 20 years, no, yeah, after democracy, they were making the system more perfect for the rich people, for the big economic groups. Mm. You know, like the reforms that we made were like schematic or like, I don't know, few changes that never change the reality. At the end, what they did was continue the privatization 
uh, as I was mentioned, education, health, privatized. Basically, for instance, now there are the crisis. There are a crisis of uh, there is a crisis of um, beds in hospitals, mm. and the state created a system where private hospitals can receive public public uh, uh, patients. Yeah, uh, and the state pay them. Oh, the state. The no, state pay yeah. the public institution or clinic to give Which them... Which is the perfect conditions for corruption because then you just have the private hospitals that are making it so that they have to get these publicly funded patients mm -hmm. to come in and then they just are getting taxpayers' money so that they can fund yeah. their shareholders' pockets or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And at the end you have like a very, very well-organized entrepreneurial health system because the, the medical doctors are the owners of this private insurance companies, they, they are the owners of the private hospitals hmm. and they are the owners of the private infrastructure to uh, take the exams and this kind of thing. So at the end you have like, okay, we create a new um, economic group, health related industry. You have these big agricultural uh, related groups. You have these uh, industrialist groups, but at the end is natural resources-based products. Right. Um, and you have an education uh, group, which, by the way, a few of them are in uh, the cabinet of the president, of the owners. Uh, then you have another group uh, of the, the fisheries, you know that in Chile we know that seven families control the sea of the country in productive terms. Wow. Forever. Wow. For life. Is this like... It's like a law that was created. Constitutionalized? Uh, not constitutionalized, but uh, has a rank of uh, law of the republic, which is like, I think, the second one before the constitution. An so the seas, the seas are privatized and... Yeah. All the catch from the seas, therefore, are their property. Yeah. So what families. happens? What happens if somebody else fishes in those? Areas? Yeah, small amount. Small amount. Okay. Small amount. But like other commercial interests. Yeah, like the big corporations for uh, cut the fish, they cannot do it. Wow. If you have a small boat, you have to have a permission, and you are cataloged as an artisan uh, fisher. Artisan. Artisan fisherman. Yeah, yeah. And you have an uh, like a quota, like yeah. you, can, you can get yeah. this amount and no yeah. more. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And the biggest one, which are used to produce, uh, I don't know, food for the pets, uh, food for the agro-industrial companies. Yeah. Uh, they have the rest of the sea for them. The fisheries for salmon that are like in crisis since 2005 until now. I just want to say this is crazy too because it's not like, I mean, there, there are some, I, I think both of us obviously would be critical of the capitalist mode yeah. of production, but there are, some, there are some elements where you're kind of like, well, I get it, tech companies, they do have the know-how and mm -hmm. they know how to design the materials mm -hmm. and blah, 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 blah. These fish are just fucking swimming there. Yeah. It's, not like, it's not like they're putting the fish and then like manufacturing the fish and then fishing the fish. 
it's like the fish are doing their thing yeah. and, and they have charts and they're like, this is our terrain and we're just going to go and grab it. And then yeah. we're going to be like, but it's ours. Yeah. Like, it's, just like that. it's pure plunder. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And the most, I mean, shocking thing for me is that you have the same with mining industry. That's right. Yeah. Because at the end, we export mud. Oh, mud. Mud. Yeah. Oh. There are like... Like Chilean mud is something that's desirable? Like ducks. Yeah, yeah, ducks. Ducks. From the mountains to the sea to put the mud into the ships that goes to China, <laughs> to United States, to all over the world. Wow. So at the end you have like, okay, we are going to be a, a miracle. Right. Like, I don't know, burning basically all the natural resources. Mm. There is no policy for innovation, for technology, for nothing. At the end, you have like. Mm. Uh, so you have these groups in the economy, very organized. So it's very difficult that you can change the system. Because at the end, you have, mm. okay, this is the capitalist group. And they have privatized different aspects of the Chilean, of the Chileans, mm. you know, health, education, uh, I don't know, all the things yeah. that you can think. Mining, agriculture. Mining, agriculture. Et cetera, et cetera. So, for instance, I have, uh, I have a friend, she has an uncle, and he's on a small company man, you know, like these people that is like in between uh, the biggest one and the smaller ones, you know, like they can, they think that they can uh, make some investments in different sectors. Right. And he says one day to her, like, uh, my girl, the problem is that if you go and you want to invest a little bit of money or more money in order to own, I don't know, viners to produce wine and anything, you have to confront the biggest one. Because all the land is from them. They have it. And they not allow you to have a small binary binary? To produce wine? Yeah, winery. Winery, yeah. yeah. Vineyard. Winery. Vineyard, yeah. yeah. You cannot have that. Mm. And what's and, and you can see the concentration of the market because you have, for instance, small and traditional breweries for beer mm. uh, in the very south in, in Punta Arenas, which is the Patagonia, the Chilean Patagonia. Mm -hmm. It was like maybe five or six years ago was uh, by, bought by a big uh, beer company that mm. is linked to Coca-Cola. Of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you see something similar, right, with like the tech industry where it's everyone likes yep. to talk about this entrepreneurial spirit that you can have and everyone wants to go to Silicon Valley or in L.A. they've got Silicon Beach and it's like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be the CEO of a startup, but really every single time you get off the ground just a little bit, you're using patents from a larger company or Facebook or Alphabet or whatever else buys you up yeah. and then they get control of your patents and then it's this perpetual consolidation and yeah. concentration of power. Yeah, you have And so now like you can't even be an entrepreneur really. Like there's some room, but the entrepreneurial spirit really doesn't exist because now it's just this homogenous top down these huge companies, yeah. these huge oligopolistic companies that are the ones who own everything within given sectors. 
And now they're even crossing sectors. Yeah. Right. There, yeah. there were a, a, a small uh, startup uh, company which is called Corner Shop. This uh, the idea of you buy, you have one people that can buy or a few people that can buy the things for other people and they bring them home the things oh, like yeah. cool. Uber Eats or but yeah, but buying stuff yeah for groceries. Oh, cool. And the big celebration in the economic uh, uh, newspapers was that this company was so cool or so good that Walmart offered to buy them. <laughs> right. And the owners of this, the, this uh, CEO of this startup company, the history is behind them. Now we are trying to be entrepreneurships uh, or entrepreneurs since, I don't know, 10 years, you have to fail, the, the, yeah. the classical discourse of, Bullshit. you have to fail, you have, right. to, uh, you have to continue, but, right. uh, and then basically it was like, yeah, but we are, we are happy because now we're going to receive, I don't know, $200 million uh, for our company, and what happened, that the United States has a little bit stronger regulation than the Chilean yeah. <laughs> uh, finance system, and they stopped the the transaction of companies so they say walmart you cannot buy this company because you are going to control the market mm. so there is problem with competition okay so after i don't know one year i start again the news like oh the problem that has this had this company no but we are going to continue because we are entrepreneurs and mm. after that you know another new that another big company tried to buy this company so at the end it's like concentration of concentration of power and you almost have to if you're a young entrepreneur because the larger companies are going to just undercut you by doing it their own way in the future anyway because yeah. they have economies of scale yeah and so what you can do for X price point they can do for X minus 30% yeah. price point or whatever right until we had this um, you have that there are some people that help in the supermarket to pack the things that you just buy yeah yeah, so what happened in Chile was they were uh, receiving money from people, you know, like you have a tip. Tips, yeah. Yeah, tips, that kind of things. And they started to appear outsourcing companies offering the uh, service to the supermarkets because the uh, 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 workers' law started to be more, you know, like, hey, mm. this is work. You have to have a contract with these people that is working with you. You need to have, uh, I don't know, insurances and that kind of things. Yeah. So, new markets appear. Outsourcing of people who mm. pack groceries. In yeah, it's so interesting. One of the things that's, that needs to be considered here, I think, is it's, it's the encroachment of law, the encroachment of contractualization into something that was an informal relationship. Yeah. But they're basically saying, no, that can't be allowed anymore. That act of exchange or reciprocity mm -hmm. that was extra, that was outside the market, yeah. no, we have to enclose that and we have to incorporate that and we have to privatize that. Yeah. So now you can't do that anymore. Yeah. Now everything needs to be contractualized. It has to be contained within the legal framework. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I like. Uh, a little bit of theory related to uh, the state theory of Jessup when he speaks about the difference between the capitalist state and the state in capitalist societies, when he says states in capitalist societies are related to the functional adequacy of the state. That means that the state is adapt his branches in order to uh, create 
these different aspects of accumulation and mm. the capitalist state is more obscure the relations of power you know like uh, sorry uh, uh, Australian mates but like here you don't know what is happening in the political world like straight away like who has the connection with who because you mm. have like a parliament system and they elect between them and which is good for the system maybe mm. uh, but you you don't know how you have the well, when I arrived I started to look like the regulations for the universities mm. and it's very like borrow law which it's like formal or uh, mm. formal adequacy so at the end the state is organized from the bourgeois organization so my, uh, uh, I like to say that like, it's like more a natural process mm. in our societies we, ha we have an uh, imposed yeah. process so at the end the state needs to have an uh, adequation of the mm. functionalities in order to be adaptable because there are new ways of accumulation you're seeing that you know like oh we can yeah we can control these people yeah yeah okay i'm gonna mm. offer you you know like so at the end is there is a, a negotiation more explicit negotiation maybe mm. so that that nexus between the state and capital is more explicit? More explicit. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Okay. So let's talk about what's going on now. Okay. So um, recently the government proposed hikes in train fares. Yeah. So they proposed hikes in train fares. Now this was a nationalized rail system? No. No. Okay. No. So then how is the state proposing this? Is this, again, that capital-state yeah. nexus thing? or how does... Yeah, because we have, in Chile, we uh, don't have federal system. We have a unitary and centralized government. And basically, the traditional elite of the country is in Santiago, but they own uh, the rest of the country, but they live in Santiago because it's the bigger city, you know, like globalized, Right. Maybe this global city right. uh, beliefs, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so basically, you have this um, uh, centralized uh, government, and in, particularly in Santiago, we have almost the half of the population of the country. Oh wow! Okay, like forty-eight percent, maybe. Wow, okay. forty-five, something like that. So basically, what we Chileans says that Santiago is Chile. Mm. Basically, so what's happening in Santiago Happens is everywhere. what is happening in Chile, yeah. okay. and they don't care what's happening in Pancawa, which is like <laughs> an hour <laughs> from Santiago, but no, yeah. Santiago is Chile. And yeah, so I, as you have this uh, big metropolitan area, uh, a project that came from uh, Frey and Allende was the metro, and the dictatorship continued with this project. They built the first line of, of metro in the 79. And that is the only transportation system that is public, 100% public, owned by the state. Mm. The rest, the buses, are private. We in Chile, and that is the same that we had in all cities. Okay. Private transport system, and we call it public transport system, yeah. but the ownership of the buses and all the system is private, 
So, we have a mix in Santiago, and uh, when Ricardo Laos was in power, socialist, in uh, quotation marks, right. uh, he um, changed the transport system in Santiago to a, a, a coordinated, integrated transport system. So we have the card since 2008, I think, uh, the Opal, which is here in Sydney. Yep. We have the BIP, because oh, yeah. when you put the card that said BIP, so they put it BIP, that is the name of the That's card. the name of the company? Yeah. Or the name of the, the card. card? Yeah, okay. the card. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so at the end, the state controls the first, first of uh, the metro, okay. because it's a state-owned company. With a system of a board of director, you know, like this managerial idea that came into the state around the 80s, maybe in parallel with neoliberalization, mm -hmm. the idea that the state has to be efficient. In order to be efficient, you need to be more managerial. Makes sense. Yeah. So um, they start to put this idea inside the state, you know, like mm -hmm. cutting uh, the crease and. Uh, so yeah, so this, the, they create a law that controls the first of the metro. This is an algorithm, they say, an algorithm mm -hmm. uh, that includes uh, the oil prices, you know, like the, uh, the consumer prices index of the country, different uh, numbers. Mm -hmm. So at the end of uh, every year, I think, they run this uh, model and say, okay, the fair, the fair, the fares, first, like the costs. Yeah, the yeah. costs are gonna rise, and that was like the, in, in Spanish we say the drop, that collapsed the glass. Oh yeah, okay, yeah, something yeah. like that. The straw that broke the camel's back is what we say. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, exactly. Okay, so at the end, uh, that was like, okay, we have this. Uh, problem so we're going to increase the first and there are a few things that are like the that ignite the crisis mm. a few ministers one the, the finance minister with the consumer price index says hey there is good news good news the flowers are going down in the prices mm. so if you are a romantic you can buy flowers right. <laughs> it's a good opportunity yeah and you know like the people is like, okay, now we have Twitter, now we have Facebook, now we can read different sources mm -hmm. of information. Uh, and then when the, the, the cost of the transport rises uh, 30 pesos, which is like meh, around 10 cents of a dollar, okay. less than that. So the uh, one, the economy minister, another one says, yeah, but no worries. If you wake up early, you can get the lower fare because you are in the lower, uh, you know, period of time. The early bird special or whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we have this, this uh, says that says uh, the one that goes up early in the morning gets help. 
Him? Yeah. Something yeah. like that? Yeah, we say uh, the early bird gets the worm. Yeah, so yeah, basically he was playing with that idea. Ah, uh, yes. So if you yeah. woke up early... It's but if you're one of those lazy fuckers that sleeps in, then yeah. fuck you, you have to pay the extra 30 pesos. Yeah. So at the end, if you <laughs> put that together with the city, right. the people that has more problems with the transport system already is waking up early. Mm. So they don't get the, the benefit. Because they already need to travel an hour and a half to get to the jobs. And in Santiago, you have a flat rate. It's not like Sydney that you pay according to the kilometers that you are in the bus or in the train. Mm. No, in Santiago, you have for all the people the same cost of the transport. Mm. Because it's so segregated that if you do that, you're going to make the poor people paying more. Right. No? So, yeah, so the people already is mm. waking up early because they need mm. to get to the jobs. So they at the lowest third of the system. So it was like, are you joking? Mm. So when you have that disconnection and you have a right government, mm. <laughs> which is basically in Chile, it's very easy to put them in the side of the capitalist. Mm. So you say like, no, this, this can't be true. Mm. So at the end, at this last week on Monday was a small protest. Some people jumping in the uh, to not pay the the tariff, you know, like jumping the system. Oh yeah, they were jumping over the uh, the turnstiles yeah, or whatever. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, jumping over. They uh, were doing sittings and singing, clapping hands, you know, the kind of things, you know, like. Right. And there, there were a few uh, experts in uh, quotation marks. Hey guys, nobody cares about you. You are making uh, like okay, this is funny, but it's enough. The people is, mm. you know, they need to get to work. So please, uh, don't make them. Yeah, don't, don't be bother inconveniencing them. other people. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. This is cause of order, yeah. you know, like, uh, and then start to escalate, to escalate. Mm. And in one week, so in Monday you have this singing protest, very pacific. And in Friday, you have a state of emergency. Mm. So, what's like planes, you know, like... So, yeah, so what, what lit the spark? I mean, not what lit the spark. Why did the spark catch fire? Like, why, if this is the miracle, the Chilean mm -hmm. miracle, um, why is there so much social unrest? Why do so many people... Uh, did they gravitate towards this one thing that mm -hmm. lit their anger on fire? Is um, it rising inequality? Is it that um, the numbers that are reported that try to speak of the Chilean miracle really cover over the actual real de degradation of material comforts and social safety nets and people are just fed up with it? Or what's, mm -hmm. what's going on yeah. underneath? Yeah. You have to think that this movement starts in Santiago yeah. with the metro first and in Friday and Saturday extends to the most, the two most bigger, bigger cities after Santiago, okay. which is Valparaíso and Concepcion. Okay. So at the end, they start to have the explanation, no, no, but we have to do this because the law says that we have to rise the first because right. This is the system because we have an algorithm because this is science. That's right. 
you know, using knowledge. Managerialist calculations. The yeah. algorithm says we must trust that this 30 peso exactly. rate, hike, rate hike. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and at the end, you know, you know like in, in Saturday, you have this big problem in the biggest city of the country. Mm. So, sorry, this is not about the, the 30 pesos of mm. the transport. This is something else. Yeah. And they start like the discussion uh, within academic world, you know, like, but there is a, um, an organization called Fundación Sol. They are uh, doing studies about the inequality of the country since a few years, you know, like, hey, this is a problem of the Chilean miracle. Mm. Don't be uh, blind about the inequality. You have a per capita income of 20, almost $25,000, mm. but at the end, you have the half of the population of the country living with less than $1,000 per month. Mm. So if you look the their data, they say that, for instance, Chile is the highest country with a um, concentration of income. 33% of the whole income of the country are in the 1% of the population. Wow. Over Russia, over United States, over United Kingdom, over China. Mm. So we are the champions here <laughs> of inequality. <laughs> the champions. Okay, for people who might want to see this too, David has a bunch of graphs printed out and he's going to give me some links to these. This is from um, Fundacion Sol. Yes. And uh, yeah, so he's going to give me links to these and I'm going to post them down below. So if you want to see some charts, now they're in Spanish, but uh, yeah, but, but the numbers are the numbers. Yeah. The, the number's not in Spanish. 33 <laughs> yeah. is 33. Um, but you can see, and you can see it's, uh, so in Chile, 1% of the rich uh, are, have, have the concentration of 33% of everything. Of everything, yeah. Yeah, and so I'll post, and there's some other stuff too that he's got here. He's actually got a lot of like charts and graphs and yeah. things like that. And I'm going to post all these links down below. So just so people know, there's going to be some visuals that if you want, you can click on some of these things. Yeah. For instance, so the poorest people spend the 21% of their income in transport in Santiago. Okay. So that is a lot. You know, like if, the ba if, if you go to a, to a bank to ask for a mortgage to buy a house, they say to you, okay, you, ha you can spend at most 25% of your income in the mortgage. You know? That's right. Paying monthly. Yeah. So for the poorest people, <laughs> It's like having a new house, so they don't have the capabilities to have a house, they don't That's have right. the money, because they have to spend in transport. So at the end, if you, if you see the, the, the data from the lovers of data, mm -hmm. <laughs> so you see the inequality of the, of the country, basically. Mm. And probably that is the most... Uh, mm. Another structural problem is the retirement funds, okay. you know, because we have special systems for military, for the policy, and for the people. Mm. And there are new documents that are declassified that says that the Pinochet and the military uh, groups, they knew that the system was bad for them. Mm. And they were saying, hey, okay, leave us outside of the system, but try to 
try to be like, you know, uh, not so transparent that we don't want to be in the system because it's not a good system. Mm. Yeah, because if you say that, then that means that you're going to indict the system and then yeah. people are going to be like, wait, if you don't want to be in the system, we don't want to be in yeah. the system. But yeah. if you can kind of keep the facade up that the system's okay, but you can be outside the system yeah. and if you can maintain that weird contradiction, then hopefully you can keep... And one of the good that. things that happened during the... I don't remember if it was Bachelet or Lagos, they create a law for transparency mm. of the public expenditure. We didn't have that until 2005, so we didn't know where the taxes were going. So oh, wow. that helped to mm, make the information available. So you have these kind mm. of foundations that they can access to the information. The official information. And that's only in 2005? Yeah. So that's only about 15 years. Yeah. Yeah, not even 14 years. Yeah. So that probably is another thing that's contributing to this social unrest because now yeah. people are starting to see yes. this information is starting to come out. It's being publicized. Okay. And there are problems with debt, with... Uh, yeah, what are, the, what are the debt numbers? Do you know? Like, are you... Like, I just read a statistic today actually from the IMF and their forecast was actually really kind of uh, poor, but for emerging and frontier markets... Uh, globally, on average, uh, companies are running trade deficits of 160% of GDP. Is Chile in a similar... Chile, I think, by the end of this year, will be around 26... 26%. 26%. Okay, so it's... Globally speaking, yeah. it's actually doing well yeah. compared but, to... Yeah, but lot. we have, like, if you look at the, gra of the graphs, yeah. uh, so you have between 2006 and 2008, which was... The government, the first government of Bachelet, mm -hmm. the lowest public debt. And the discourse at that time was the government is, uh, you know, they don't know how to manage the economy mm. because we have the crisis in Chile. And they apply this idea of the counter cyclical investment, public investment. So we have crisis, so the state needs to put money in the market. Okay. So they start to build, you know, like roads and mm. We had like uh, new schools, like uh, are we in crisis or not? Yeah, yeah. But at the end, that helped us to survive the crisis. That's right. That's why uh, Andres Velasco, which, which mm. was the Minister of Finance at the time, was very well, very well uh, known at the uh, International Monetary Fund, mm. you know, like the World Bank, because, oh, actually, yeah, the state could help the economy. <laughs> but in the ways that, you know, like the private contract, this kind of system, you know, like never right. the state is going to build again, nothing. Mm. But they are going to put the money in the private sector in order to make the economy work. Is there a lot of corruption deals between the private sector and... The state as well? Oh, you yeah. should see his face. He lit up and he's got paperwork and statistics, I guess. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So probably that is one of the most important reasons because of the people is like sick with all these problems. Uh, I have some information here that I want to share with you. This was um, uh, made by one academic of uh, the Center for Sustainable Development. Okay. Urban Sustainable Development. Um, so they called, like, because the discussion when the uh, uh, 
the people start to jump and not pay the the metro uh, fare and that kind of thing was oh we are we are losing uh, too much money uh, we are because they burn stations by Friday they burn the stations with trains inside yeah I saw uh, someone tweeted out uh, it's ironic that the government wanted to raise rates for train fares yeah. and so the people decided to just burn the trains <laughs> yeah. and it was a video of a train on fire yeah, just yeah. sitting in the train station <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah so they when they approved the um, the freezing of the tariffs yeah like yesterday mm-hmm. There was a Twitter, funny Twitter saying, good news, the first freeze, bad news, we don't have metro. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> they've burned. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So basically he calls the elite benefits. Okay. And we have the tax fraud and illusion uh, from economic uh, groups, Penta, a very well-known American Walmart, between $3.5 million dollars. $1,352 million, another uh, land tax uh, evasion from the elite group. Mm-hmm. Um, you have corruption cases in the policy, $62 million. In the military, $200 million. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, collusion for industries in the poultry industry, $1,352. Uh, you have toilet paper collusion in Chile for about $500 million, and you have drugstore collusion for about $42 million. Mm. So at the end, this you have to think that these cases were into justice between 2017 and 2018. Wow. So in the last two years, so three years ago, there was no corruption in Chile. We are the example. Because we have the Argentinians that they are corrupt, because they are Italians, you know, like this, right. these discourses of ethnicity, like the English of Latin America, we are very uh, proud that mm. we don't have corruption. And then start to appear all this kind mm. of information into the justice, because there were problems between managers and owners of companies. Mm. You know? So at the end it was like, a, Okay, I'm going to take revenge because you're not giving me support. Mm. So I'm going to speak everything. Yeah. It was not because the uh, judiciary system was working. Mm. You know, it was they, revenge. It was revenge. Oh, okay. So then okay. the people start to see to see, oh, okay, now we have this information. We have these cases. We have the corruption. We have the political elite winning money as crazy because they have obviously industries, companies, related to the specific commissions that they are in within Mm. the Congress. So, and the uh, parliamentary uh, wage is like 50 times in comparison with the the basic income. Mm. And the, the average of the OCD countries is like eight times. So then the people start to say, okay, what's happening here? Yeah. So the metro first was the, mm. just the ignition, uh, like, right. you know, the start like this. And this is consequence of the neoliberal system at the end. Mm. Because you have a very well-protected elite. They don't go to jail. Mm. They go to uh, ethics classes. Do they? Yeah. That is the 
the justice uh, consequences for them. For the elites. For the yeah, the owners of one of the these uh, tax fraud companies and the, the owners of these uh, companies was okay. You have to pay this uh, uh, this money like a fine, like a fine. Yeah, yeah like was like maybe slap on the wrist, yeah. just a little bit of money. And, yeah, and then and then go, go take to, these ethics courses. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and one in the private university that the friends of them own, you know, like, wow. with name, like, on, in this university, you have to take a class. Whereas if you're probably arrested for, I don't know, petty theft or something like that, you don't get that option. Yeah, no. You go to jail. Yeah, you go to jail. Yeah. So at the end, you start to see, the people start to see the, fen- the benefits. Uh, you start to see, like, how is possible that I'm going walking yeah. into the Sanhattan, as they call the section of the beautiful glass building. Santiago, Manhattan. Santiago, Manhattan. 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 Yeah. So you go and you see... They really are trying to be a global city then. That's them. They're trying to emulate themselves after... And and the funny thing is that if you look at the images of this global city from uh, the San Cristobal uh, Hill in Santiago, so you see the Costanera Tower, which is like... in 300 meters, uh, high script, high, okay, yeah, high building, yeah, yeah. <laughs> very high building, and it's close because the owner don't want to pay the transport costs that have the impact into the city. You know, like we have a system when you, if you want to build a building, you have to go in through a, a analysis of the impact of the in the transit in the transit system. Mm-hmm. So. That analysis defines what you have to pay, and if you have to build another street, if you have to build a tunnel or a bridge, whatever. So the owner of the this tower says, "No, I'm going to pay. I'm not going to pay anything." But that is the picture that the country shows as global city. You know, like you can go into the small details and just start to see the privileges mm. because they he finished the tower. The tower is ready. But it's empty. But it's empty. Hmm. Because he doesn't receive the approval from the municipality. But he still benefits from it as an asset that yeah. he can probably put on his yeah. balance sheets. Yeah. And Basically, yeah. you have a small one uh, building, like the buildings that are in Panama City, hmm. like empty, but they're still making profits That's with right. insurance, with all the financial system that is around them. You know? and just the, the land value. Yeah. The land value, yeah. Yeah. And you can use that to secure cheap lines of credit and et cetera, et cetera. And for land value, in Chile, we don't have a law. Mm. It's private market working, pure, pure. The banks regulate, the banks, the private banks, regulate the, the, the price of the land through real estate uh, valuation systems. So the bank says, we have a commission, we analyze, I, I, I know that because I worked as a, a valuation evaluator. Maybe, yeah. Real estate evaluator, yeah. something sure. like that. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, at the end, they say, no, this is the system. We're going to use this. And I, when I just start to learn this kind of things, I say, is there any regulation from the state to do this? Hmm. No. Why? Nothing. <laughs> no way. It works perfectly. 
So, I mean, you have light from space to finance, the whole world of private market marketization, you can look for anything that you like. Mm. So, if you think in theory, for me, we have this, this uh, unbalance or like small pieces of advanced capitalism and things that are like feudalism in Chile. Mm. You still have uh, patronalized relationships between workers and owners of agricultural lands. You still have that. Yeah, and the nepotism of handing down the ownership over the oceans is crazy to me. That's, yes. yeah. But okay. it's within the constitutional system. Right. So the explanation is, what is the problem? The law says that. Right. And when the investigation went into the law, they discovered that one of the most important senators of the country received the draft of the law. And if you look at the law and the draft that he received from the fishing companies, it's the same. Hmm. And they say, no, this is not corruption. <laughs> hmm. Because I, I, I received, that was the defense of the senator, I received information from many persons that want okay. to send me. It's not corruption, it's being shrewd. It's being a good business person. Mm -hmm. That's what it is. Okay, um, let's wrap it up with this. What do you think um, is going to happen moving forward? So I know there's been demands for the president to step down. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's um, right. What do you think this means for the country of Chile? Is Chile at a point where there will, there will be some sort of social democracy, a shift towards that? Do you think that's even possible within the restrictions of the Constitution? Do you think that there can be a move away from the process of neoliberalization and privatization towards like a renationalization of, um, of important factors of production? What's, what's next? Mm -hmm. what, what do you think is next? And then what would you like to be next? Um, I think from the start, the government has shown that they don't have the ability to uh, understand the demands of the people. Hmm. Uh, the, the last discourse of the president was we are at war against a powerful enemy. Who is this powerful enemy? The people? He never said. Who this is this just power? the other day he said this? Yeah. We are at war against a powerful enemy that don't have any, doesn't have any respect for nothing and nobody. So, so is this like a, is there a conspiracy theory that that the people in power think that somehow it's like these radical leftists, the communists, the, the people who have like the Allende's people are back or something yeah. like that? Is that? Yeah, there yeah. are like some videos saying, showing Pinochet phrases, phrases like this one. <laughs> like, we are in war, we oh. need to fight the Marxist and the and rule system and against mm. democracy. We are fighting for democracy. Mm. So basically, Pinochet is saying the same. We are at war, uh, we have to fight against this enemy. Who is this enemy? Probably his internal diamonds and problems. And because the funny thing is that the, the 
Interior minister? The interior minister. The interior yeah. minister? Minister of the interior. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is his cousin. Of course. <laughs> so at the end you have like a family conversation, like saying, what are we going to do with, with this? No, no, there's an enemy. It's mm. like they are following this conspiracy, conspiracy idea uh, from uh, uh, September 11 with mm. Bush, mm. creating this, we are fighting terror. Mm. That is our enemy. So there are like, are you really are doing this? Are you are you really doing this? Like yeah, but then that would just seem to, because then is he not just calling Chilean people who are protesting terrorists or the enemy? Mm -hmm. And would that not only ignite further yeah. anger against? No, we have one, two, three, four, five, six, around seven the major cities with a state of emergency, with, uh, uh, I don't know how you call it in English, the thing that you have to stay at home. I mean, like a curfew. Yeah, curfew. Or, yeah. After 7 p.m., isn't that yeah. right? 7 p.m., yeah. curfew? Yeah. yeah. So you have in, in the whole country... And, and, and the military is walking the streets, right? And like very, mar martial law? Gee, yeah, yeah, this yeah, word? yeah, yeah, yeah. And very, very crazy, you know, like... Military. And if you're out past 7 p.m., they can pretty much do whatever they want, right? Like, they can yeah, use force, arrest you, they're hurting they are, people. Are they yeah. killing people? Yeah, like, there are, like, the last counting was 11 dead people. 11 dead. Yeah. And uh, 1,400 uh, injuries. Yeah. So, yeah, basically they are applying, like, you know, like, this was the, maybe, one of the worst experiences that the people that was not involved in political issues in the country within the dictatorship, mm. the, this uh, curfew was like, they were used to this. So, you know, like, mm. for the people that were, I don't know, there are people that was just working, you know, they didn't mm. get involved in political discussion, that kind of thing. So they lived, uh, they, uh, lived with these curfews. So for them, it's like, hey, you have to stay at home because they can, they can kill you. Mm. And then you think like, we are in a democracy. How, mm. how, how, this, how we get to this at the end? Mm. And this is like, Okay, you are you are doing um, I don't know terrorist uh, acts and that kind of things. So we are going to be very hard. We are going to pro prosecute the um, the violence. We are going to, like you know there is two phenomena. Like you have social demands in on one side, and in the other side you have um, I don't know maybe some vandalic uh, or vandalic uh, issues like empty super. Um, uh, People taking things from the supermarkets, mm. people, I don't know, stalling, I don't know, TVs, you mm. know. You Some riots, that. of course. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, You have that. But he's like, okay, I'm gonna, no, I'm going to uh, hide the social demands with this violent acts, mm. you know. And, and this is our response, mm. military in the street. So this is like crazy. So I, for me, they show that they have no ability. Mm. The phenomenon itself has uh, one interesting thing, that there is no leadership. Mm. So there is no political group that can say, we started, we are coordinating the, I don't know, the manifestations, because there is no one. It's the people, you know, like, 
sales of people that okay organize okay they, let's go to this uh, square and make our protest you know um uh, taking the the things from the kitchen and the, oh the pots and yeah the pots and, and they're banging them oh, yeah yeah okay yeah so you have that there's no political leadership so you, that for me shows hmm. the distance between the people and the political system we, hmm. we have a, a, a i don't know a gap like a giant gap between what they understand, this new political leftist force, the Frente Amplio, they try to, to they were a few uh, uh, parliamentars, parliamentaries mm -hmm. from that section. They were in the street, you know, making the protests, marching with the people, that kind of things. They tried to be embedded with that. Okay. Because they came from the students' revolution, which okay. took place in 2006. Sure. Uh, so, yeah, they tried to do that, but then at the end they showed, like, immaturity. Because when they need to, like, okay, we're going to the Congress, they don't want to vote on things. Mm. So, yeah, no, you have to... What is the political maneuver that you're using? You know, like, it's like, I don't know, for me it's like a mess. <laughs> Hmm. It's a mess uh, from the government, from the political parties, and the people basically is alone. Because in the past, one of the institutions that uh, could appear as a mediator was the church, the Catholic Church. Hmm. And now the Catholic Church is in the middle of the sexual harassment problems oh, with uh, priests, uh, they went out of the country, they, they were sent out, yeah. like, okay, go away from Chile, you are non, grat, non persona non grata. Persona non grata, yeah, so people don't trust the church anymore either. Yeah, yeah. so at the end you have, like, maybe the firemen, <laughs> <laughs> because you saw the video, like, it right. came a uh, uh, firemen and then the people start to clap in the hands, so yeah, yeah. at the end, okay, you have the firemen. Uh, <laughs> How is we we have a, a dialogue here if we don't have any representative? If 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 the government says the only problem he is is violent, no, there is nothing else. You know, mm -hmm. like social demands. Okay, we're going to stop the rises, the rise of the metro fare. Okay, they vote, they stop the law, but what they are doing is like okay, the thirty pesos that we are going to stop uh, now in the next increasing, we're going to take it into consideration. Mm. And the next increase of the fare is in next year or two more years. So at the end shows the inability and the lack of strategic thinking of yeah, the government. A real lack of imagination too. Yeah. It's just we're stuck in our ways, this is how we do things and so what do you think should be done? Obviously you are doing work on kind of post development decolonial theory mm -hmm. so if the last thing your summation point here what is the vision that you would hope for chile um i mean immediately i think that ha that has to be a major resignation resign from not the just the president president no. Other staff members, ministers, ministers yeah. everywhere. Okay. Yeah. Like, if the president, like for, for Chilean people, I'm going to say like, 
my parents normal in their unbeliefs of the things like no really no but there were some good things from dictatorship okay no but this is what the information is showing mm, mm, let yeah, you don't know see. I lived through it it wasn't that bad yeah. it's okay yeah, because for us was like okay we were like inside the house not problems uh, yeah so we are very uh, let's say I'm I, for my mother when when uh, she came to visit me she asked me oh how's the the, the adaptation here in Australia I said no oh, they're very different culture very different people you know like uh, cultural differences and I said but there is one thing here the people follow the rules Anything you teach me very well to follow the rules. Hmm. <laughs> so for me, it's like, oh, the people he okay, behave, okay. Hmm. Like, yeah. you can live, hmm. you know, like you have emotional issues, you know, like, I don't know, maybe they don't say hello too often that you, right. as you say in Chile, you know, like that right. kind of things. But um, yeah, so if I, for people like my parents are like, the president going out. Mm. Of the government, it's an impossible thing. That's just crazy. Yeah. yeah. No, we we are we are, we don't have any. It's too extreme. Yeah, yeah. But for me, I think if he don't want to uh, hmm. give the the step at the side, at least half of the ministries, interior, uh, finance, economy, transport, yeah. that has to leave the cabinet. Probably. Try to call some um, uh, political representatives from the other side, the oppositions, mm. you know, like left um, politicians, and basically change the constitution, like mm. start a process, you know, like say seriously, okay, we have to change the constitution, we have to go into a discussion that go into the public uh, opinion that uh, the people can vote because we are not. The society that we were in the 80s, in the 25s, you know, like we are not uh, uneducated people. We know how the system works in other places. Mm. We know, the, I don't know, maybe in the 80s, some crazy economy, mm. economists speak about the social democracy in the Scandinavian, mm. you know, uh, countries. Ah, oh, that is crazy. No, look at us. We are the, the Jawers of Latin America. Mm. We have the Asian Tigers and the Latin American Jawers are the Chileans. You know? mm. But now it's like, oh, you can do things in another way. There is a possibility for another realities. You know? like, yeah. So for me, uh, resignation of uh, like the, at least mm. <laughs> all these ministers, the president, maybe maybe call for and anticipate elections mm. uh, some uh, some of that kind of stuff I, I really don't know because now there are a few months uh, uh, the idea this was I discussing with this idea with a friend probably came a lot of months of discussion who is the owner of this movement mm. you know like in political terms yeah and that could be the worst idea, you know, for politicians. That is because for the if the president left the government, I think the president of the senators take the power, mm. and that guy is just as bad. Is just as bad or worse, maybe? Yeah. Like from a leftist <laughs> right. 
party, yeah. but at the end, the guy is like out of law from killing a guy while he was driving. Oh. You know, <laughs> like at the end, you don't have like... Are all your politicians criminals? <laughs> uh, maybe. <laughs> we, we started to discover that uh, around three years ago. Jesus. Yeah. So, yeah, for me... I, for me, emotionally, for me, it's very difficult to... Yeah, that's the question, right? Is who, who owns the movement is a really interesting question. Like when you get the Spanish indignados or something like that, mm -hmm. you had a particular, you had a clear understanding of who this other party was, right? That was going to try to uh, get into power or get something similar with, you know, the power behind Syriza. There, mm -hmm. there was a clear, like, left institution or organization that was involved in the ground-level protests that would assume power that... Well, obviously, we know what happened with Syriza being crushed, but um, even with like the, the Indignados movement, we understand how that's kind of like lost a little bit of momentum. But nevertheless, there was an organizational structure there. Yeah. Is there anything like that on the street right now with the protesters that is like a left populist or even like a, a more radical organization that is trying to position itself into power at all? Or is this just kind of a, a spontaneous symptom of social unrest that is really kind of not being led by any sort of central organization at all. Um, yeah, I think it's the last one. Okay. For, uh, Interesting. I'm not so optimistic of the so it's not capability like you, yeah. of the political leaders. You guys don't have like a Bernie Sanders or a Jeremy Corbyn or a Pablo no, Iglesias or No, no because like the, pro the, the, the main pro I mean, there is a, a group of uh, uh, deputies. What is it? Deputies? Deputies? Uh, de deputies? Deputies? Yeah. That are uh, that came from this student movement. Okay. Like uh, Gabriel Boric, uh, Giorgio Jackson, Camila Vallejo, Caro Cariola. Uh, they create, for instance, uh, Boric create his own movement. Jackson create another political party. Okay. And Cariola and Vallejo are from the Communist Party. Okay. So that are the young, the younger uh, leadership. Right. But they cannot um, uh, take the presidency because they are too young. Yeah. Because the law is like 45, I think, the minimum age to become a president. Yeah. And they are in their late 30s, okay. 36, maybe 32, some of them. So it's impossible. You have to change the law. And to change the law, you have to have the quorum. And to have the quorum, you need to convince the left and the right that there is another choices never in happen. the country and no and that will never come mm. yeah so at the end yeah it's uh, for me it's the most interesting thing is that there is no leadership at all mm. to create a dialogue so you know like the president is like okay let's be creative and think hope that piñera tomorrow says or today maybe in chile Say uh, says, um, okay, I'm gonna have a dialogue. I'm gonna make the reforms that you're asking, and blah 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 blah. Who is going to represent the other side? Who is going to represent the people? Right. Like the oppositions, like ex concertación, which is like internal fighting for who is the next mm -hmm. president, and this uh, new political body, which got a lot of uh, votes, but still they are not so well articulated from my point of view. Mm. But it's a, it's a hope, I think, yeah, yeah. that right. they can be a strong political power in the future, in the next election probably, if you think in traditional terms. Mm. But you have to think 
we have a year and a half of Piñera's government. So we are a two year and a half away from the next election. Mm. So yeah. if Piñera wants to finish the government, the term, we have two and a half more years mm. of him with no legitimacy, basically. Mm. Because if you see, like, the people don't trust. Yeah. After, after taking the, the army uh, into the street, that is like for me. For me, it's like no. That's it. That's, that's it. it for him. You cannot do it. No, nothing else. You know. The, so the discussions around academics, around like people who speculate a little bit more about this, is like okay, he's going to do an auto uh, coup, like create the conditions to say, oh, we gonna you have to dissolve the parliament. We have to, mm. you know, like what is going to do? Because he say, okay, no, tomorrow I'm gonna meet, which is today, I'm going to meet the presidents of the political parties. Mm. And then what? Mm. You have your cousin leading the military against the people, mm. killing the people. And there are very sad videos that you can see in social media, like basically doing nothing. They try to, mm. to kick them and, you know, like, it's, yeah, it's very sad and, and difficult for me to concentrate in the work. Like, okay, I'm going, what am I going to do today if the yeah. people in Chile is like, okay, in the street and democracy and they are killing our people. Right. Because this is not like the environment of Allende epoch, you know, like you have the capitalists against the popular masses. You have the popular masses understanding that they can, they need to have more rights. No, this is like took by surprise to everyone. But at the end, the people is saying, oh, you took or you put the military in the street. Okay, we are going to go out because this is a democracy. So now the Chileans understand more which is a, what is a democracy. Because we were seeing that oh, this is not working for us. You know, we are poor quality, poor life quality. We, are, uh, we have a lot of debt to buy groceries. You know? yeah, do people have a lot of consumer debt? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and not for buying cars or buying TVs. Just for basic necessities. For bi to basic necessities. Yeah. There are a lot of people that have... You shouldn't be in survive. debt yeah. to fucking survive. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I've, I've, ideally, he resigned. Mm. Ideally, new elections for everyone. Parliamentaries. Parliamentaries government mm. in I don't know six more months something like that yeah and the people has to respect the result of the elections that's, that's going to be the next tough challenge right yeah. is that if they have elections yeah. and you just get another stooge in there same different but same in there again what's that going to lead to is it just going to maintain this type of unrest where it's just a perpetual state of chaos in the streets and it may not be as concentrated and as big as it is now but there'll be constant outbursts and you don't want that obviously because then that means that there's more violence um it's very difficult for people to kind of get by on their day-to-day -day lives with a lack of stability so yeah it seems like a very tough situation and it seems like from what you're saying that the political infrastructure is is geared in such a way that it almost doesn't allow 
for something really new to be instituted right now. Mm-hmm. That if there is some sort of resignation, turnover, people from a government step down, that you're going to kind of just get a new crop of very similar types. And that, and that there really needs to be a long-term strategy to really dismantle and restructure the political system yeah. so that you could actually have um, more anti-capitalist, anti-austerity, anti-neoliberal, post-colonial um, initiatives yeah. that, that can actually... And you have to be careful with the language as well, because at the end, the people, when you say change, yeah. they usually is like... Yeah, it's funny. What you is say, going to change? You say change and people are scared because that sounds chaotic, but yet they'll burn fucking trains. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But yeah. when you say, when things are stable and you say change, then it's like, whoa, let's not rock the boat. Yeah. And that's very difficult. Now, when the spark initiates, when the event happens and people start going, you don't even realize maybe that this is changing. You might start saying, we need change at that point, especially the voices in the streets, yeah. the more radical voices. But then even then, the kind of more conservative, the types like your parents, like you're saying, that are sitting at home, they're kind of like, look, we get the frustrations, we're angry too, but hold on. Yeah. We need to have some sensibility here about how it is that we're going to go about yeah. demanding change. Yeah, the last that. election, the president, the last uh, ele- uh, president elections were, were like that. We had the Frente Amplio, this new leftist uh, political group, they were saying, we need to change. We need to change the constitution. Mm. We need to change the pension system. We need to change the water regime, which is completely privatized in Chile. Mm. The water is from, it, it's owned by private people, mm. you know, separate from land. You can have land, but you Don't cannot the have water. water. Yeah. Wow. And so it's a perfect, perfect very perfect uh, capitalism. Yeah, it totally is. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and they, they promote these kind of changes, which yeah. were, oh, this is ma- this, it's making sense. You have to vote for them. And in the other side, they were saying change and change. And in the other side, no, we're going to be like Venezuela, Chilezuela. Chilezuela. And decide to promote the fear, you know, like, yeah. no, we, because Chile is a miracle. We have, uh, we are part of the OCDE countries, which is the richest countries in the world. You see this in America too, right? People okay. use the same tactic. They're like, look at Venezuela. They're eating rats in the streets. If you elect Bernie Sanders or if you listen to uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, uh-huh. is that really what you want? Look at what happens there. Like, you know, they're eating their own children sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, like and it's it. like, no, we can't have that. Fucking communists, look at what they do. And it's a very powerful tactic yeah and it's so funny that it just gets repeated by everybody that they just they just parrot the same thing it makes me think that there's a script that like someone is crafting this script and everybody's like this is what i must say yeah i must memorize these lines oh we're gonna become like venezuela we can't become like venezuela and it's yeah. like be original assholes at least come up with your own critiques that yeah. chilezuela i think is really funny That is really funny. Yeah. <laughs> it's really clever. Yeah. We're Chilezuela. No, yeah. we don't want that. Yeah. But, and, but the, and the traditional left were, <laughs> were doing like, uh, uh, we have to change some things, but right. not too much. Right, exactly. Because of the, the order, you know, the economic system. That's right. That's, and if you yeah. look at that, it's not crazy. Because if you have the, this pension system, which is the an engine for investments, because... You, To do investment, you need money. Mm. And a poor country privatized mining industry, privatizing everything. Where the money comes from? Workers. Mm. 
So at the end, you have like a perfect funding system for companies through pensions, mm. which is not, I, I, I always said, this is not a retirement system. This is a cap, capitalizing like system, you know, like mm. getting money to do business. Mm. And the best way is to have seven, 18 million people that are paying working for five million people paying the pension so we can have money to invest. And the thing is that you start to look at the links of the major economic groups with investment in this funding, this uh, pension retirement system, you have that they are very interest, the high interest in this system that keeps working and working and working because they mm. have the money from them, you know? That's right. I, we should probably wrap up here, but now I'm so curious. What happens if there's an economic collapse and the pension funds dry short? Then the people lose their pension funds, but they probably get bailed out by the government somehow, so then they can keep using money to keep reinvesting in their little Ponzi scheme. Yeah. That's what it is. It's a Ponzi scheme. Yeah. And they're just basically taking the money that they get from the workers who are paying into what they think is their retirement, but really it's like they're like many capitalists, but they don't get the return on their investment. I mean, yeah. maybe you get retirement or something like that yeah but like if that's not the going same. to live 120 years and we're going yeah. to give you like yeah know. but that's not nearly the same as the billions of pesos that are being accumulated into the the, the pension system that's then being reinvested into whatever it is that they're investing yeah. it into yeah yeah and one of the things that the people doesn't forget wow. from ricardo lagos which was a is a socialist is that he allowed through a law that the losses from the pension fund companies were trespassed to the people. Oh, so they had to pay for the losses in the pension system because if of you the lose, if they yeah, if they lose money, you lose them as well. Yeah, that's fucked up. There's no insurance for it. it doesn't no. it's not support. Okay, yeah, that's a whole other can of worms <laughs> yeah, that we yeah, can yeah. get into. <laughs> um, dude, thank you so much. No, thank you for your invitation. Um, where can people find your? Do you, you tweet a little bit? You're not super active on no, Twitter. No, no. Now you, I'm more active. A little <laughs> bit more. Yeah. In the past few days, I've seen a lot of retweets. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. But um, can people find you? Do you blog anywhere? Uh, do you no, wanna, I'm. Do you have any <laughs> essays you want people to read of yours? Like academia.edu. Is there anything? Uh, yeah, I have a research gate uh, page. Okay. Uh, but I am not like the this uh, massive writer and you gotta get on that man. You gotta <laughs> yeah. learn how to build your I have brand. To write in build your English, brand. Which <laughs> well, is not easy, but no, I'll write in Spanish. People can use Google Translate, yeah, yeah. fuck it. Um, <laughs> but on Twitter, what's your Twitter handle? Uh, even I don't remember. <laughs> I think it's David Aviles One. And uh, no, it's oh. David Aviles E. David Aviles E. Yeah. yeah. So it's David and then A V I L E S. E. Capital E. Yeah, that's why. David, I'll put a link down in the show notes too, okay. so people can find you. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you, man. Well, Jesus, man, that was a very amazing, intense, long, exhausting interview. I was so drained after we did that. My mind was reeling. My emotions were up and down. I hope you all found value in that. Um, I mentioned it throughout in the podcast. I'm gonna post some links down in the show notes. I'll post links and some Twitter information to the organizations where David got a lot of the statistics and graphs so that you can get some visual, um, so you can get some visual 
evidence, I guess, to, to kind of paint a picture and to solidify and to give you some empirics behind a lot of the stuff that we were talking about, as well as I'm going to post links to uh, my YouTube channel for the Bible series that I'm going to be going through, as well as whatever else down there, a Patreon link and uh, things like that, so that you all can just click down below to get where you need to get, to get the information that you need so you can get the stuff that you need to get the things you can get, whatever. You know I love y'all. Uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. Peace. As a bird, you scarcely realize you are traveling faster than man has ever traveled before.